Hello and welcome to another edition of Unplugged. As we tick towards round nine, we bank the four points against the Kangaroos in a largely forgettable game. It's fair to say there were some frustrating moments watching that, but if you could be frustrated with a five-goal win, things are going okay. So it's a tick and we move on, knowing that obviously there's room for improvement, but no damage done in that sense. So we look forward to chatting a little bit later in the podcast with Daniel Healy. We've had a lot of fun this year chatting to a lot of the names of, you know, sort of cult heroes and players that had great moments and those sorts of things to complement the range of the old and the new and the, those in the middle that we've had over the course of the year. So looking forward to, to that chat with uh, with Daniel Healy a bit later on. But uh, we hold North Melbourne to their lowest score against us in the AFL era. I know they're struggling as a, as a side. We held them goalless in the first half, but very messy ball movement from us going the other way, particularly transitioning inside 50 shades of what's happened to us a little bit in previous years but look defensively strong midfield was was competent had we have kicked you know 14 goals 10 instead of eight goals 16 it's obviously a very different uh, scenario but you win with room for improvement um, it's probably not a DVD we're likely to buy or a game we're likely to sit down and watch again it was hard work but it's hard work. It's four points. You're six and two. You're top four. You go to Adelaide. You get players back. Overall, H, as I bring you in, um, I guess we can still be pretty satisfied. Yeah, it was uh, a game that you, as you say, would not watch again. But it, sitting there watching, knowing that we're not going to lose the game, but just seeing, I get it was almost North trying to out St Kilda, St Kilda. <laughs> The way they played, but they just didn't have the 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 ability, the players, or the skill to do what we do to most teams every week. Uh, Clarko had a clear plan to negate the what the forwards that we had and not let us, I guess, get in and score freely. Um, it's something that we do every week to the teams we play, and he. I guess he found a way to slow us down. So hopefully it's not something that other teams have also figured out. Um, But yeah, just the, I guess the finishing off and the rumor of the balls not being pumped up properly. That was a little one that came out during the week. As I said, I actually said that to someone during the game. I said, uh, are the footballs not pumped up today? They're the, who was it? The, um, Zerha kick out in front that just swung wildly. I looked at that and thought, something's wrong here. It just doesn't seem right that the, the footies don't swing like that normally. So, yeah, whether there's any truth to that or not, but, I mean, they, they may not have been kicked in very well. They may not have, they may have been, yeah, just not not well uh, well used and new footies for that game or something. And it just, yeah, if it was something there, it just certainly helped bring it down even further in the quality stakes that, yeah, we've, we've, we've seen good football, but yeah, that was pretty, pretty ordinary. It does feel Nick, like um, for the last three years when North have been struggling and we've been say a level above that our games against them have been exactly like that every time for some reason. Mm. Yeah. it's, It's a really interesting one. I mean, We've heard a lot about the, the state of the game, and obviously it wasn't a it wasn't a pretty game of football. Um, you know, like you said at the top, North North are not playing good football in general. Um, 
a lot of talk about whether that's that's Ross Lyon's coaching structure and and you know this is Lyon ball and people saying that you know, the Saints are horrible to watch and all that sort of stuff. And I just think it's I think that's a bit of bullshit. Like I really think that you know when when you go back to us as a bad team, we brought good teams down to our level. Like that was what we tried to do. Um, and I really feel like North tried to do that to us to some extent. Like. Yeah, bad kicking's bad footy. We kicked eight goals, 16. If we kick 16, eight, we're not having this conversation, right? Like mm. we win by 100 points instead of 30 points. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden we finish off some of the, the better ball movement. I know it wasn't stellar, but we finish off some of those opportunities. And we're not talking about this. And this whole kind of narrative over the last, you know, four or five days or, or whatever is just non-existent. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's the last few years that we've played North, it, it does feel like, um, these games historically have been awful games of footy, and you go back a decade, and we've had some pretty good, pretty good games of footy. You go back twenty years, back to the, you know, the, the late nineties and the, you know, the ninety-seven prelim. We've had some pretty good games of footy against North, but the last few does feel like like they've just been real hard to watch, real slogs. You know, not great footy. Um, whether we've both been bad, whether North have been bad, whether we've been bad, or whatever, um, it was it, it was hard to watch, but. You know, we got the four points, we walked away with a win and, and we regroup and go again this week. Obviously, we go back to even that the, the pandemic game, the first game against North in 2020, first game in front of no one, the weird day, obviously, where the season was called off that night, effectively. And that was also a bizarre, frustrating game. I think we lost it by a point or two points and really painful loss, but it didn't really hurt because we were like, oh, we, we may never play footy for the rest of the year, so it doesn't really matter. But um, <laughs> it was all a bit strange at the at the time. But, uh, but yeah, it was an ugly game. And I think, as you say, conversion was a factor. But one thing with, with Ross... Ross's team this year is that we've we've moved the ball pretty quickly. It was just we broke down at that last level. He mentioned obviously Membry in the first quarter took that mark thirty meters out, then sort of passed it between a couple. He did the same in the last quarter where he had Filippo and Higgins, I think, running into an open goal and kicked it between the two of them. Stuff like that, obviously Patton and Butler nearly killing each other in the middle of the ground with that sort of lack of communication. Just just a few things like that that were a bit rusty and um, you know. There was probably only a couple of teams in the comp we were going to beat on Sunday playing like that, but we were lucky that that's the way it fell. And, you know, a lot of people can make the point that, you know, we can't afford to play like that against Adelaide. Well, it's true, but we weren't playing Adelaide last Sunday. So we've got an opportunity to, to regroup and and right those wrongs this week and, and build into that game, which is a, a massive one for us. But, yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of negativity around it. But, you know, if you can play badly and win comfortably... You take that, if your bad days result in four points, um, you know, there's things to work on and things to learn, but, you know, I'm confident they'll do that. Well, what, what would you rather do? Like, I'll, I'll mm. ask you guys, would you rather have a have a poor game, play play average looking footy, not pretty footy, and, and win, or play beautiful football and lose? I know, I know what I'm Yeah, if, if someone about. told me that, that we'd yeah. play in a grand final and it would look like that, yeah, no worries. Fine, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. um, and we're, we're we're probably more likely to win games like that than any other team in the league at the moment. Anyway, when you look mm-hmm. at the way we are matching up against teams. in a game where you can't so score, you're not going to score against us at all. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. no, but you know, we've scored two thirds of the goals in the match. Mm. So it's basically a one. You go well. Look, in the context, we have. Kind of, we dominate it. Yeah. When you look at that sort of thing, that we've scored two-thirds of the score in the mm-hmm. match. And it's 
as we say, yeah, it's not great to watch, but hey, we're, we're not here to entertain the Fremantle fans or the or the Geelong fans or anything like that. We're, we're trying to get our four points, and yeah, we'll we'll move on from it. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly right. It's it's probably not one that we'll we'll analyse to the to the nth degree. Um, but yeah, there, there was some pleasing aspects of it I thought obviously we'll discuss it a little bit more with the votes but um, enjoyed the the role of, of Cooper Sharman I actually thought he was probably our most dangerous forward he had career high disposals at, at 18 he had three or four shots at goal took a hanger um, which we always thought he would do and um, you know he's a different player to Cordy but he probably had more possessions than Cordy's had in the last five games in in that match so um, I, I just think he makes us makes us better. I understand why he hasn't played and there's been issues around attitude and, and bits and pieces like that and commitment and things like that. But if he can buy in, then I think we're better for having him. Might sort of segue into the the votes on that front. Um, whilst I've got mine off the top of my, my head, I, I thought Wanganee Miller played probably his best game for the club. He enjoyed the story about, um, which I read on socials, about Mason Wood taking him aside after the port game about obviously getting some balance between, you know, footy and life and, and taking your mind off things and that type of stuff, which is a good tick for, for Mace. Uh, two votes to Wilkie, excellent again. Um, and obviously I gave a, a heap of ones. I, I gave a vote to Liam Stocker, who I thought played a really good game. I gave Cooper Sharman a vote. I gave Mitch Owens a, a vote as well. Um, I thought Sinclair played a, a very good game for the club. I thought Brad Hill was, was obviously very influential as well. Um, and I'm just trying to work out if that adds up to 10. I think it does. Um, <laughs> if I've fallen one short, let me know. But I've certainly squeezed another one in there. But um, I thought on the balance. Oh, Ryan Burns was the other one who played um, probably his best game for the year for us as well, um, as, yep, as arguably 10. our best midfielder. So, um, Yeah, I gave one to Hill, Stocker and Burns. I thought they were all all well in our best on the day. Um Hill was just uh, in and around and here and there and everywhere and just, yeah, racking up the touches. Um, probably one of the better users of the ball on the day. Um, it, it was, as I was saying, there's quite a bit of, I guess, poor ball usage, but he didn't seem to have, um, I, I guess, many issues um, compared to a few others. Um, so it's a... One of those days where it was a little bit, I guess, harder to pick out the better, like the well, the last few votes in this, but um, yeah, I go two to as Parker was saying, Nazaya. He was probably his best game we've seen. Well, probably not his best game we've seen, but um, certainly this year, I think. Um, and Sinclair too as well, but yeah, just just the down back, the just the general. That keeping it all under wraps down there, um, go three to Wilkie's rock solid. Um, it, it's I, I don't know whether we he's the difference between us winning and losing that game, but I think they would have got a lot closer and it would have been a lot bit, bit nervy had he not been down there and playing as well as he has been. And he, he may just have we may just have got a hold of uh, got held of a bit more. Um, by Larky or even Zerha down the forward line if if the defending wasn't up to the standard that has been. So, yeah, it's, he's definitely a best on ground again. 
Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I, I wanted to give a vote to Owens just because I think this kid just keeps keeps doing whatever is asked of him, but I couldn't quite fit him in. And, and really that was because I thought there were a couple of standouts. I thought there were a couple that were just below that that rung. And then I thought the rest, you know, as, as we've spoken about, it wasn't a good game of footy. Um, we were brought down to our opposition's level. And you know, I don't think a lot of guys are, are able to kind of, as much as we won by five goals, I don't think a lot of guys are going to walk out of that, you know, incredibly impressed with their own performances. So I gave one vote to Liam Stocker. I think that he's playing the best footy of his career. I know, you know it hasn't been a long career, but he's played 30-odd games, just over 30 games, and I reckon the best eight games of his career have been in the last eight weeks. Um, I gave one to Naziah Wanganin miller for the reasons that you guys have already spoken about. I think he, he's maturing in front of our eyes, and it's really impressive to watch. I gave two votes to Ryan Burns. I think probably now... In the last month, there have been two games where we've said Ryan Burns has played the best game of his career, um, and and this was another step forward for, for Ryan Burns. And then I gave three votes each to Jack Sinclair and Cal Wilkie, who I thought really were the standouts uh, on the ground. Funnily enough, uh, I thought Todd Goldstein was probably the best player on the ground, uh, but for, for us, I thought Wilkie and Sinclair were the two clear standouts, um, both performing their roles. You know, They very rarely put a foot wrong. They're both so reliable with ball in hand. They make good decisions. Um, and, you know, we, we would have been in trouble on Sunday afternoon without those two guys. I think, you know, effort counts for a lot. And, and you know, we have a lot of effort. We work really hard even when things aren't going our way. But, you know, you take the poison and calmness of those two guys out of the team and, and we probably don't win that game. Yeah, I think quality ball use in, in bad games stands out. And um, certainly Sinclair's poise and obviously the goal he kicked but, and also Wanganeen Miller, those two guys used the ball really well in a game where people weren't using the ball really well and it genuinely stands out. And obviously Wilkie's intercept marking and composure in a game of mistakes was, was really evident. So, um, yeah, I think we've, we've sort of covered the bases. And, and, you know, the Ross Lyon mantra of one soldier down, one soldier up, Owen's rucking most of that last quarter um, against the star like gold. Uh, full credit to, to him for battling through in those circumstances. We turn our attention to our next guest on the program, a, a cult hero from a, one of our greatest wins of the 90s uh, against the West Coast Eagles in Perth in, in 1998. I speak of the six-goal star that day, Daniel Healy. Here's Jones, here's Reed. Slight fumble. Zilla, Winmar. Harvey, just making a few fumbles. Great skill by Robert Harvey. For number four, Healy. Right behind us we are. And he's kicked it. I'll tell you what, we just as well he kicked it because he had Thompson sitting about 15 metres out from goal that he should have short pass to. But obviously his confidence is up, Jared, isn't it? And he's kicked his fourth. But the evasive skills here of Robert Harvey. Watch this. Matera's coming from his left. He just stops, holds the ball. You can just see uh, Thompson, when you see him again, he's in front of him about, what, 15 metres out. Just as well, Healy kicked the goal. He's a huge kick, though, Healy. It was a great kick. A beautiful kick for goal, a beautiful kick of the footy. Played 38 games for the Saints, had a fair bit of success also back in his home state of South Australia. I speak of Daniel Healy. When you hear the name Daniel Healy, I think one thing that pops into your mind is kick six on his birthday. But Daniel Healy, thanks for joining us on the uh, on the podcast this week. Thanks for having us, lads. Great to be here. 
Now, um, going back to the, the, the start, we've asked this question about of a lot of players that have travelled from interstate. And what was the system like when you came over in the mid-90s in terms of how they looked after you, how they set you up, and just what, what it was like, obviously, changing states like that? Yeah. Um, look, I was a mature age. Um, it wasn't as prevalent that they were all 18-year-olds getting drafted back then. Um, and I certainly was a late developer. So I was 21 and... Um, I had actually been approached by Port Adelaide who weren't in the comp, AFL comp yet, but had got the licence to stay and um, they actually were offered me a pretty attractive offer to stay and keep playing against them in the Sandful for at least another year. Um, <laughs> but I decided that uh, at 21 I was ready to go and Melbourne was really attractive to me. I'd moved out of home. I was from the country, so living away from home wasn't an issue for me. I'd been doing that in Adelaide anyway. and um, So I was really excited about coming to Melbourne. Um, it was interesting getting to a club like St Kilda where I, I walked in and I probably didn't see significant difference between their change rooms and facilities of what I had back at Central's at a, at a level below, which was was an interesting reflection. Obviously, it, it looks significantly different now. Um, Johnny Beveridge was pretty much the, the man and he recruited and he looked after you and he found you a host family and, um, yeah, he did a lot. And I think about I've since worked in AFL systems in, in development and, and the welfare teams and the amount of resources they have now compared to them is significantly different. Um, and John JB did an amazing job. Um, so I had a, um, a host, host family look after me. It was actually one of um, Stan Al's wife's good friend, um, and she looked after me, and she'd looked after uh, previous people before and, and then after me. Um, and then I was lucky enough, I had a great relationship with Daryl and Shane Wakeland's older brother, Michael. I'd played football with him in Adelaide, so I knew them, and the plan was... Um, that we were all going to move in together. Um, the big hold up there was they were too afraid to tell their host families that they were, the family, their host mum, that they were moving out because she was pretty shattered with that. So we sort of drove around for a couple of months looking for houses, but they just weren't up for telling her. So that was probably the biggest hold up there. So we we ended up moving in together and we spent four great years together. You arrived at the footy club, I guess, in a in a period of a bit of transition. Obviously, had the the finals run through ninety one, ninety two uh, earlier in, in the decade. Uh, obviously, lost Plugger. Spud Frawley had just retired, um, but there were still guys like Rob Harvey, Nathan Burke, Nicky Winmar, Stuart Lowe, th- those types of guys. But on the other side, younger guys coming through, Ozzy Jones, Matty Lappin, uh, the same draft that you came through, Barry Hall, uh, Jason Cripps, uh, Jason Trinides, a, f- you know, a few of those young guys coming through. But what was it like walking into that footy club? And, and what group, as, as you said, you were an, an older draftee, but what was it like coming into that group? And I guess who did you acclimatise uh, with more amongst that group. Yeah, um, my first camp, I, I got there and, and we went on a camp pretty soon after I, I got there and I was in a group with Nikki Winmar and we were camping together and, you know, I thought that was the that was the most you know, amazing, amazing thing ever. Um, obviously a superstar of the game um, and those other names, you know, I guess Saints have always been synonymous with having some great individual talent, but that era, I, when people ask me who you play with, you rule them off. It's a pretty significant list in the history of the mm-hmm. club. So I felt really lucky. You're right, the young, cocky um, Aussie and Joel and Brownie, and, um, and, they, and they were the young rock stars, and they were bloody brilliant. That draft the year before was obviously a significant year for the club, and, and they were coming through really nicely. And I probably settled somewhere in between. Daryl and Shane were obviously... A strong connection there, and Cripper and I um, were and still are great mates. Um, Justin Peckett, um, who I now um, lucky enough to, to work with all these years later, we had a pretty strong connection. Andrew Thompson, um, uh, Brad Campbell, Sam Cranage in later years. So there was a, a, a crew. But uh, to be fair, um, 
even though senior players were reasonably young still at the time, and it was a, it was a bloody close group. And a lot of interstaters, so Stephen Ziller I didn't mention. Um, one of the upsides of being interstate, you don't have family and friends that are local to draw you in every weekend. So you become this group that really want to hang out and want to do everything around the club. So there is that there is that upside around having interstaters that they, they are fully committed to the club because they don't have much else going on. So round 12, 96, break into the senior team for the first time. It was only a game for the year. How... how did you go leading into that game? How was how was the nerves? How was the obviously being a slightly older than a, a first year drafter or anything like that? You had a little bit of experience behind you with senior football, but how how was it walking out there the first time? Yeah, it was. I guess the first year was pretty anticlimactic overall. I was touted as a as a high draft pick and and it came over with some real groin issues and struggled preseason. Came over late with some contractual. The debates have got drafted and thought this was going to be the sexiest time of all time, and then you you start negotiating contracts and you realise that um, you probably picked the club without a heap of money, and uh, it's going to the, the reality kicked in there. So that took a bit of time. Got over there, had some growing. So I was slow to start, but that was you know that was challenging. And then I, the reality is, I I, I wasn't setting the world on fire in the twos, and I reckon because Nicky Wimmer was out that week from memory, and it was an obvious pick to put me in, but. As was the case back then, um, you could tend to spend yourself, find yourself spending a fair bit of time on the bench. So I, I did spend a fair bit of time on the bench that day, as I did sadly in a lot of my games. And um, and I was on Matera for a time, and probably worked out that I was a bit out of my depth at that stage. To be I think most people uh, that played on Matera would be out of the depth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I, I probably got a few mates yeah. there. I, and I snagged a goal late in the game, which was some consolation. But it was a, it was to be honest, a, a pretty anticlimactic um, start to the career. To, yeah, so that first year was, a, was probably really disappointing in, in, in overall. So 97, you um, obviously played some games early on and off the bench, as you said, but game against Essendon at the MCG early that year, you kicked two in the last quarter when, when we came over the top and beat Essendon in front of a big crowd. Uh, that would have been, a, I guess, a nice moment, feeling like you were settling into the group. You'd played a major role in a big win. Yeah, it was, and and sadly, for me, there's too there's too few moments that I can think about. So they do come really to mind. But that one in front of a, a big crowd, um, getting involved in a in a tight contest late in the game, and and and, and you know I, that I can't remember. You blokes seem to know your stats pretty well, but that <laughs> might might well have been one of my first. Well, probably I don't know if it was my first senior game on the G, but I wouldn't have played a heap on the G by then. So um, it, it was. was. That, yeah. that was all um, kind of a big deal, and that felt pretty good. And I remember Stan sort of affirming that afterwards that, you know, that that should be the start or opening up of it. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a good day out. Bit of a multi-part question around the, the 97 season. Um, a, what was Stan Owls like? You coming into the club as a new player, um, you know, pretty kind of in some ways an old-school type of coach but had some new modern methodologies. Um, throughout that 97 season, how much did that change? Uh, I guess, yeah, as we saw as a footy club, something kind of clicked halfway through the season and the club went on that role. And then for you personally, I mean, you played 15 games that season. Most of them, you know, a lot towards the second half of the season when we were playing some pretty good footy. And then to not play finals, like what what happened, I guess, towards the end of the season that saw you out of the out of the squad? Yeah, um, firstly on Stan, he's probably the way you've described it, is not, not bad. There certainly was an intensity about him and that was, I think, a challenge for him at times in coaches' box. But again, he wouldn't be Robinson Crusoe there as far as, as far as coaches goes. But um, 
the new age bit you talk about, obviously, uh, I, I've ended up working and, and part owner of a business called Leading Teams, which um, was, in my opinion, pivotal back then in bringing Ray McLean in a, in a leadership and cultural development program, which was unheard of back then. Um, we had we had other, I could name three or four. We did some meditation in 98. We did the, the stuff that he was willing to go out in the limb and try different stuff. So from that point, even... even um, yeah, there was Pagan's Paddock. We were doing stuff around shifting the line and creating. So, like, he was he was bloody clever and innovative and, and trying new things. Some of which we thought was kooky as hell, and then others um, were clearly beneficial. So, he definitely had that. I again, I had to, I, I probably never really felt in though in that year. Fifteen games, as I look back on it, I got dropped late in the year and played it on and off the bench against Freo one day. And I reckon one of the boys brought the stats in for me on the Monday because I reckon I I filled the sheet with donuts, which was not my proudest day. And I didn't have a heap of game time. But And and I reckon it was, again, you'll probably tell me, but it was about round 18 and um, got dropped. And and then we went on a roll and there was real no expectation um, to get back in. We smashed North Melbourne in the prelim final and, and we figured it was unchanged. And there was whispers on the night, on the Thursday, whatever it was, before the, the grand final that there was going to be a change and that maybe Matty Young had been dropped. And that then got my hopes up. I thought someone who's come off the bench a lot of the time, uh, been able to contribute when it has. So, you know, I, I mounted a pretty good case that I'd be the one that, that got put in. Um, living with Shane Wakeland, I reckon he, in his head he mounted a pretty good case too. But unfortunately, um, Robbie Neal was the man that they went for instead. So, yeah, that was a tough few days in the house. Daryl was trying to get ready for a grand final. He had a couple of other boys who were in his house trying not to sook. And then we had the Wakeland family over. So it was a tough, tough few days, I've got to say. So you talk about coming on and off the bench quite often in that period. Did do you find that you were given kind of the same sort of role each time you were brought on the field, or did you, feel, or did you sort of not know what you're going to be doing until you, you just got on the field? Was there basically where you um, had the, I guess, an assistant come up to you and say, "Okay, this is what you're doing today," kind of thing, or did you sort of know before you got out there? Uh, you wouldn't know for sure, but it would have generally been wing half forward. And the reality is, I was recruited to play wing and uh, on big AFL ground at Waverley, and Winmar and Jones were there, and I couldn't crack past them. And and so then it becomes, and, and again, even as you you see you see them even now, you see um, people coach amateur league or kids. The the ones they tend to rotate are the, are the forwards, and it's, it never makes a lot of sense. But the fellow who hasn't had the ball down there for half an hour, let's bring him again. They often are the ones that are the thrown in later, and, and that's what often happened. Sometimes, occasionally, you'd go out and try and do a defensive role. I remember one day Shane and I basically shuttled on and off the bench because we were supposed to be trying to stop Paul Roos from intercept marking, and so we'd keep leading up and halves, and they'd keep kicking the lowy three on uh, one on three, and Roos would keep marking it, and we'd be the ones that'd cop it because. Um, they weren't really programmed to look for people like us, you know, on a flank when, when you had Stuart Lowe taking 15 a game. So sometimes you'd play that role, which was bloody hard, and other times you just hope like hell you could, you could you know, um, you could find some footy as a, as a half forward. What was grand final? You mentioned the, the build-up to the, the grand final. What's grand final day like? I mean, a lot of people have gone through it. I mean, Max Holmes for Geelong last year getting uh, left out on grand final day and things like that. But sitting in the crowd, watching your teammates, you've played 15 games that year. You've been a part of it. Obviously, you're hoping like hell they win the flag, but I'm sure there's parts of it that would hurt as well if they did. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one, I guess I'll never know. But um, 
once you get over the disappointment of not getting picked, I, I I think it hurt far more. Clearly, it hurt far more than you know. And you just felt like we had control. Yeah, we felt like it was definitely. I don't need to tell you, folk. I'm sure it was one that one that got away where we were at half. Yeah, and and so, but all a bit all a bit blurry and surreal to be honest. Um, the other bit is that at that age, I'm 23. You probably think as old cliche. You probably think that um, there's going to be plenty more chances coming up and we were we were a pretty dominant side that year and there was no real reason why we wouldn't continue to do it but yeah no doubt really devastating and, and sick to the death of hearing the crow's song repeat itself as we <laughs> as we left the left the ground that day what was that off season like and, and i guess the following pre-season i mean obviously the the clear disappointment of, of losing a grand final but i guess for you personally what were the things that that you were told you had to work on to become more of a i guess a permanent fixture in in the squad in the team and it, what was the i guess the mood around the the club during those months kind of you know, october november december and then leading into the next season um i couldn't remember um Specifically, I probably remember a fairly significant ten-night trip to to Bataya in Thailand. Thailand, we had a pretty good pretty trip, I'm going to say. Um, but my certainly personally, and my memory of the group was that we did feel like the, the graph was still heading up, and not not saying we were blasé about we missed out because it was it was hurt, but it wasn't like we you know we're, we're done here and um, that's the end of the run, which sort of how it ended up eventuating. I think there was a we talked about the young group of people we had and, and those senior blokes weren't um i wouldn't know their exact age they weren't they still had a bit of footy left in them well, clearly half did but they, they had plenty of footy left in them so we, it was still like a list that was gonna gonna push on and for me my challenge was always um getting fitter i wasn't a great natural runner and and the other one was competitiveness it was always a challenge that i um I fluctuated in that area, and that was one of my challenges. So at the at the highest level, so so that they were the two areas that I knew that needed to keep. Um, you always felt like if you were given more of an opportunity, that that, that and you felt more comfortable that would come. But I would be one of thousands of players who could sit here and say that. So um, that that would be the areas that I was working on. So early '98, we travelled to Perth, um, as we were talking a little bit earlier about that game um i've watched it quite recently actually the last quarter just to just just again to see how good a win that really was that day um we, we're looking at a situation where we're a victorian team it's in perth the weather's really warm you could see how tough the conditions were i mean there was a a, a point in that last quarter where halves the ball was two meters away and he almost collapsed. He was it was that run down at that point of the game, and it was still about I I think about fifteen minutes to go, and it just looked like we're no chance here. You come along, kick a vital goal when we're about I think it was twenty points down in the last quarter, about ten minutes to go. You've kicked six for the game. Spiders kicked six for the game. You've both had your birthday that day. Where did the inspiration to get? over that last quarter come from was did it just all of a sudden happen was there still a bit of belief when we were four goals down what what clicked yeah if i tell you that the, the 97 grand finals are blur this one probably <laughs> is great even though that you know i can't watch it back because my dv my dvd's um is, is worn out from the amount of times that i've, I've watched it um, no, I, I try to get my kids to watch it it's, it's on get, it's on youtube now so there's them. no excuse uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Um, maybe they watch it because YouTube's a cool thing to do. Um, 
I, I sometimes do see highlights to watch it back and still don't see how we how we won it, how far down we were. Um, obviously, there was a dubious free kick given <laughs> given late um, in the game, um, which, if, I, if you don't mind me, a bit of an aside, I was at a um, – Ray McLean was running a leadership course and I was – and I was doing it, and one of the people in the course was Hayden Kennedy, and he was telling a story about how he gave this dubious free kick one day at Subiaco um, in a game, and I nearly got up and belted him. I said, so you were umpiring that game? He said, yeah. I said, so you're the one that didn't give me any brown. That was, that was my one and only chance to ever get a brown low vote, and um, he, he decided to give it to, I think it was Everett Harvey and, and Jakovic or someone like that, or cousins. So um, I got stuck in that. It was, um, it was unbelievable. It was just this... It was a real fluctuating game, high-scoring game, very different to what we see now. And I just, this group just kept having a crack and didn't know how to say give up. And yeah, things just kept falling to our lap. So I, I, it wasn't like it was any any stronger desire than any other week. But we did go over there under man. We had we were, we were missing Lowy and I reckon Berkey. Is that right? And and Car- was oh, I can't remember. It was Car- I think he did. Uh, yeah, exactly the yeah. first two. Uh, yeah, he did, but the other yeah. two didn't. And um, we just went over and had a crack and. Um, had a bit of fun, and yeah, it was a it was a, it was a memorable memorable day. Built some momentum through that season. Obviously, you, you played a very good game against Richmond on Easter Monday in front of seventy one thousand at, at Waverley, and that and the, the following weeks, we really did look like we were in a sweet spot. We've asked a lot of people that played in that era, sort of what happened. Do you have a theory on why it fell away, perhaps that year? Oh, I bloody don't. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like. Um, yeah, I feel like there's probably a bit going on behind closed doors, a bit, bit, fair bit of politics. I mean, if you look at that era and you think that the coach is going to be resold at the end of the year, there's got to be something a bit more going on, doesn't there? Um, it is It is interesting. I do feel like um, yeah, Stan, I think, was feeling the weight of the pressure from the from the board. Um, we didn't know that at the time, but you get that sense since. And, uh, you know, certainly he, he was challenged in some of the way he was dealing with things. Um yeah, and, and I guess it just shows, it just it, it, it reinforces how remarkable sides like Hawthorne and Geelong and others have been, and you know, that continue to front up year after year. And we still didn't have that maturity as a club and a group. And unfortunately, we weren't able to see that through with Stan and see what would have happened. And of course, you know, in true St Kilda fashion, there was a bit of um, unrest and, and we chop and change the next few years. So uh, I, I couldn't put, I, I feel like that as much as anything, I certainly... Certainly, um, it, it, it certainly was hard to say at the time, for sure. What was it like, I guess, uh, following that season and you hear the news that Tim Watson's coming in, he's a legend of, of the game, he's been a, a magnificent player for a long time. I mean, what was the, what was that like and, and what were your, I guess, first encounters with, with Tim like? Um. Yeah, we yeah. I mean, it is funny. I've I've been co- I've been a coach and been sacked as a coach, and you you you're always turn around and you're waiting for the forty players to t- to walk out with you. Um, you soon realise that they they were happy to move on with the next one. And and as much as we were sad, disappointed, and probably surprised, even though you look back in hindsight, and perhaps we shouldn't have been. A new one comes along, as you say, legend of the game. He spoke beautifully. He he was brilliant orator in the preseason. He. Um, he was well structured, and he had he, he you know he had all the he had Lombardi quotes, and he had all that going on, and it, and it seemed like this is going to be yeah we're going to have some fun here, and um and he was he presented really confidently, and and it probably wasn't until the season started to unfold, to perhaps you worked out that he, he he wasn't you know, and you look back now, and and I think history suggests that plucking people 
to coach an AFL side without experience in not not playing, but in, in the in the ranks as an assistant or in the system is um, is problematic, and that's how it turned out. One of the assistants that was actually under Tim, who you then later on cross paths with again, was Alistair Clarkson, um, co- assistant coach at Secure, then coach you at Centrals. Was there much of a sense that he would become the coach that he is today when in, in either of the positions? Like, what how, sort of how much say did he have at St. Gilda when he was coaching there? Like, um, did, did he have that, I guess, look, look of a future champion coach at that point? Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously not going to sit here and say that back in 99, we picked that he was going to be, you know, one of the greats of all time. But he certainly dominated pre-season. He dominated some of the video reviews. We reviewed each team. And again, part of you look at it then and think Tim's empowering his staff well. My understanding is the year after when Clarko left, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Andy Collins, someone came in and they ended up sort of adopting some of his philosophies, which I guess led to the, the idea that perhaps Tim didn't have some solid views of his own um, or he was just bloody good at empowering people. But Clarko was a um, – he was he was so well educated. He had some, some really clear drills, really clear real clear teaching type mentality. His, his understanding of the game was really thorough. And, again, I, I did get to see it later in Centrals where clearly he was on a path to go somewhere bigger and brighter than where he was with us. And so you, you did certainly see it then that um, this bloke, he ain't coaching us forever and he's got, he's pretty clear on a mandate in his head where he's going and, and lucky for you know, pleasing for him, he's got there. In terms of your own development, we, we spoke to a player from your era, Jason Heatley, who was a phenomenal kick of the footy. Uh, you were an outstanding kick of the footy as well. Where did that come from? What were the influences on you early days that that, that was a real weapon of yours throughout the course of your career? Um, if I can just digress, um, the story that a lot of people want to know have told around that game that I kicked six goals. My old man, we were a farming background. The old man was on the tractor that day and he heard that Healy had kicked three goals at half time and he, he thought he'd misheard it, that it must have been Heatley. So um, you know you're going all right if your old man doesn't even, um, doesn't even believe in you. Um, um, I, don't, I don't know. Dad, I didn't. we don't have a lot of footy. Dad was a good B-grader in a country town. Um Mum didn't necessarily play a lot of sport. Um, I, I was an only only boy of five kids, four sisters, so I tended to. They reckon they used to kick the footy with me a lot. I tend to argue that that didn't happen much, and I was just out the side yard kicking it myself a lot. Um, so I, it was one of the few things that I was able to do pretty well, and um, yeah, and use it to my advantage. But I, yeah, it, it I, I guess I was lucky that it, it, it came pretty natural to me. Um, you, you mentioned earlier around the history of, of the St Kilda Footy Club being littered with with champion players and, and incredible talent and, and that stuff. When you finished up at the Saints, you, you went back to Centrals in the SANFL, played with a, a lot of really good players. I mean, you look at some of those names like Shannon Hearns, Dewey Jew, uh, Brent Guerra, et cetera. Um, what's the difference in, in your opinion? You had a lot of success at Centrals, was four or five flags. You were captain for, for most of them. What's the difference between a team of champions and a champion team? Um, well, look, and, and I, to suggest that 
that the Saints group didn't have this. I just think we needed some stability and consistency and stay the course. Um, that's one of the things. Have a, a, a board and an off-field that are strong. And again, I'm biased because we had Ray McLean strongly led influence at Centrals, who, who was where the, the leading team's model started, where Alan Stewart, the coach in the mid-90s, decided that we need to stop being an average team that we had been for 30-odd years in our existence and let's start focusing on behaviours and, and how we want to be rather than just ability. Um, and so by the time 2000 comes around, we got lucky in a way. We put together a group of people. Um, I say lucky. The reality is we, had, we brought good people back to the club and those good people were able to bring other people back to the club. And so you get a good group of people who are just there for the right reasons. Um, certainly a lot of Sanford clubs will recruit ex-AFL players at 28, 29 who are really just in it to top up their super fund rather than we got some uh, – we went for younger ones who either just missed out or still saw Sample as a stepping stone, and it meant that they were there. They were passionate about um, playing for each other, and and yeah, the old saying um, isn't amazing what can be achieved when no one cares who, who gets the credit. Um, yeah, I'm not saying we didn't have some reasonably strong egos at that central side, and there was a real competitiveness about us. But um, I do feel like stability at board level, back in the coaching. Um, and, and then a coach who wants to empower and let players, um, you know, take some ownership, which is, again, where we were trying to go at St Kilda, and I was a big advocate of what we were trying to do, and things just things just went amiss. And, of course, once you win one or two, you, people get to believe that that's what's going to keep happening. Other sides start to look at you and fear you. Like, going to, playing Centrals in the old days, we were a laughing stock, whereas, whereas in those years, driving out to Elizabeth was seen as we're going to get... In fact, 20 years on, people still see it as a tough road, even though the club haven't had success for a long time. Um, so then you just get momentum up and you fill it with newer, younger players who wanted part of that. And yeah, they ended up winning, um, you know... Um, I mean, they went three, five, nine in 12 years. So um, it was a pretty significant era. So... Where would you basically put St Kilda in? Uh, I guess your career is, is, is sort of was it more like a feel like a stepping stone to then get um, take that experience that you've had to South Australia, and then you're able to like build up Centrals. Like they really, as you're saying, didn't have much before that period of time. Were you able to take a lot of what you built? Up or well, got from St Kilda, and I guess lead the team into something successful. Was there uh, something you're able to bring to them? Yeah, it's, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, it's a good question. I probably would. I mean, we were playing grand. We played in the grand final in '95 before we got drafted to St Kilda. They played another one in '96. For me, a lot of the work had been done then. They they plateaued a bit '98, '99. What I was able to bring this was to the club was two pretty good footballers in James and Chris Gowns who still hold it against me because they reckon if they had stayed at St Kilda they'd be they would have played 200 games of AFL because they say they retired rather than got <laughs> which I think they did get offered another rookie list and back then the rookie list wasn't what it is now and so I said no come to Adelaide and you'll get redrafted from here and um, unfortunately for them unfortunately for the rest of Adelaide and Centrals that that didn't happen so for me it was bringing that group of people and I'd probably come back Aaron, with the confidence that um, I'm a senior player now, this is this is going to be a level I'm comfortable in, in this environment, and I need to I'll be able to perform because I've played at a, at a higher level. So I wouldn't necessarily think lessons I learned, but um, more more this feeling that. And I, when Central rang and talked about it, I just said, if I'm coming home, we're coming home to win. So I've had a crack at my individual 
and I got as far as I got and I wasn't good enough. Um, this is about team success now for me. We're, we're putting the score, and they'd already put some players together and they'd already said it, enough's enough, now's the time. So timing was right and then ended up being a bunch of young fellas who all really wanted to train hard and play hard but then go out and enjoy each other's company off field and we were, it was a pretty unique group of people to be honest, yeah. Post playing, you had a stint at Port Adelaide uh, working with their their younger kids, their draftees and, and younger kids uh, there for a number of years as a development coach, development manager. How much of that experience did you then take into your, I guess, next career at, at leading teams uh, and, and into what you're doing now? And I guess uh, I guess the second part of that is a lot of footy fans have heard about leading teams, have heard stories of, of Ray McLean and, and St Kilda and Sydney and a bunch of other footy clubs, but might not actually know what leading teams is and does. So, I mean, maybe you could give the give the mm. audience a, a little bit of an insight into, I guess, what you guys do now. Yeah, great. Um, the first bit, I always look at it and think, I feel like I'm, I'm high, I'm, I've got to my happy place now and working for leading teams. It's been 10 years and I think, you know, was that a waste of time doing a teaching degree or a coaching degree? Because I did teach as well, so for me, no. The, the the skills I learned as a teacher helped the coaching, the, the ability to coach. All of that is 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 owning an audience, is taking control, is telling stories, is is facilitating and presenting, which is what we get to do now. So for me, they were all just great stepping stones, great experiences. Um, I loved. I had to go at Port, then I went and coached my own right at North Adelaide for a couple of years, and I went back for three years at, at Port as development coach, and I still have some really strong connections and friends with some of those players and, and other coaches from Port. So um, that was a great time. It was a really tough time. It was a couple of years where the tarps were on the seat before Ken turned up. So it was some, it was some really challenging times. I'm really proud of what we were able to do from a cultural play, point to keep those players together given the, how, the, how the club was going. Um, and so, yeah, all, the, all this time, this, 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 this passion still burning with me for this team team culture piece that I'd fallen in love with years before and, and, and then I'd feel like my footy coaching had gone as far as it could and I reconnected with, with Ray McLean and, and Justin Peckett who was working at leading teams and they said, we don't have anyone in Adelaide, what about it? And so I, I took um, the leap out of footy and, and took a significant pay cut and, and started the, the business uh, leading teams in SA and really glad I did and basically um, teams and it used to be mainly footy but now 90% of our work is done in corporate world and with teams like you guys would work in every day and we we help them articulate and create a framework about how they want to be um, seen um, for me going back 30 years at Centrals we were on a creek bed in the, in the in the River Murray and and Ray asked us how would you be seen by Port Adelaide who were the measuring stick at the time and we said rabble unprofessional whatever some pretty un, you know un um, spectacular words to describe us and then later on part of the framework was well how do you want to be seen what do you want to be known for what behaviors are we going to need to exhibit to and so in this you're creating a framework that everyone's equal and it just appealed to me then um, traditionally if you're an 18 year old kid coming to footy club you don't speak until you play 200 games or you win best and fairest or you pick up a good looking chick at the nightclub um, it whereas this model was you know if you're telling me if you behave if I behave like that, then that means I'm going to that I've got as much you know right and respect as anyone. It just made sense to me um, the simplicity of it, and I got to see what happened there, and then and obviously got to see what happened at Central's um, earlier. Sorry, it was both clubs, and um, and now I get to see teams and businesses um, where th- this empowerment model is is really powerful. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of a fair bit of misinformation and misnomers all over the journey that we put people out the front and throw stones at them and tell them how shit they are, and and there's no doubt that. What we do is um, is is at the more courageous end of what a lot of consultants will do. We do have, we do 
proudly get people to give feedback to each other. We get them to build strong relationships and so that they can withhold having those conversations because we know those conversations help us get better. And Spider Everett was interviewed a couple of months back. Someone told me in Queensland, and he's um, and we should have got him to be we should. We should have um, had him plug in this more than what we have, but he apparently said that um, the, the feedback he got from um, teammates through the leading teams process was some of the most powerful and, and has, has helped shape his career. Gary Ablett Jr. is another one that talks about it. There are others, obviously, um, who, who have been more outspoken that they didn't like it. Um, we would perhaps question some of those people appetite to be part of a team to be honest um so that's okay it's not for everyone but it's certainly um it's been really powerful in, in developing me as a person and, and I, i'm i'm lucky and i love that i get to help teams of people um develop their culture which in turn of course why we're we doing it is to help them improve their performance which is, is really rewarding so in the 150th year of the club we've been uh, since questioned everyone every week um to you yourself what is the St Kilda Football Club or what does it mean or what's something that you basically would just pinpoint and say that's that's what the club is to you? Yeah, it's bloody, I, I, I'd have to be honest and say um, I, don't, I don't connect with it as well as I should and um, I guess part of me looks at it as missed opportunity, which is unfair because I had a great time and, and I... I can honestly say I try. I did as well as I could and, and wasn't good enough. Um, I reckon you get sacked and then the team goes shit for a couple of years after that and then you, you connect with, I connected with Port Adelaide and I worked there and so I, I probably have a stronger affinity there. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go to a supporters function on Sunday which, and, and in fact, um, one of my daughter's um, good friends at school, her dad is a, is a mad St Kilda supporter and could tell me more about my career than I could and I just think about some of that and I think... Um, yeah, it brings a lot of joy to a lot of people, and and I, and I should have a stronger connection than I do. So I'm sure when I go to yeah, to um, the supporter function Sunday, it'll it'll make me again think that I should do that more. I do get more invites to the past player stuff. It's in Melbourne, so I tend not to go. But again, a lot of Cripper and Justin Peckett and Shane and Daryl, a lot of them are trying to get back to that more, and that's something I'm really conscious of doing. You do sometimes feel a little bit. Um, is it maybe inadequate's the word doing it, and and I, I've got to check myself on that because I know when I have centrals centrals reunions and catch ups, and I know there's people that feel inadequate to come to them, and I we always tell them don't be silly, we don't care, we don't even remember if you played in the Premiership, I just turn up because we want to see you, and I'm sure that's the same feeling with the Saints people. So I've just got to catch myself in that. Um, but it's clearly a really great time and a formative time in my my career and my life, and and. Some of the connection I made with some of the supporters, like you folk, I had um, the Saints and Moorabbin group were my sponsors at the time, and they were still—I don't know if they're still trying to get Saints back to Moorabbin, but they were—they were a very passionate bunch of, of people. I don't know if you've run into any of them along the way, but um, so it was a really, really special time in my life. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they've got obviously got the girls playing there full time now, which is a good step in the right direction. But yeah, you mentioned that function as as we let you go. Obviously, it's the pre-game brunch on Sunday, nine a.m. till eleven. Uh, the Next Gen Function Centre on Memorial Drive, just down the road from the Adelaide Oval, which is one of the most beautiful sporting venues in the world. Uh, obviously, celebrating the club's hundred and fiftieth year. Special guests will be Daniel Healy, also Scratch and Neil, Daryl Wakeland, Glenn Elliott. There'll be raffle prizes, etc. Great way to lead in for the South Australian Saints fans and the Saints fans heading across to Adelaide for the game. But Daniel, thank you for the uh, contribution. We have wonderful memories from 90s footy watching the Saints and, and you're a big part of a lot of those. So uh, thanks for, for jumping on and uh, speaking with us today. 
Fantastic, lads. Thanks for your interest. Good on you. Daniel Healy there. Enjoyed that chat. Um, certainly uh, has a, a very good footballing story and, um, you know, was a key part of, of our side on a number of occasions, even if he wasn't ever totally established in it. We look to Adelaide. Our injury list at the moment is starting to look a little bit better. There's two or three players that say, say post-buy, like Matt Allison and, and McLennan and these sorts of guys. But one thing that also stood out to me is Daniel McKenzie has gone from indefinite to two to three weeks, which is very encouraging. But also Zach Jones, Jimmy Webster and Max King all test. So obviously Caminiti is no longer on that list as his suspension has been served. It's just a question of whether he gets parole or not um, for his life sentence um, come uh, the, the weekend's game. Um Look, Max King, I think it's pretty clear that if he's right to play, he's going to play seniors. I just get that that vibe that, you know, that they're probably not going to put him at Sandy. And, and I think given the circumstances, they'll want to roll the dice. I think Webster and Jones will definitely play in the twos. Um, but our injury list is effectively, without those guys, down to about six and probably only three of those in the best 26 or 27 players. So starting to look better. And obviously, we've got to roll that out now. But um, yeah, the, the more I think about it, Nick, and I guess it just comes down to for who, I'd be surprised if Max King doesn't go to Adelaide. It it really does feel that way. It's probably not what I would do, but it, it does feel that way. And I, and I understand the, the temptation, the want to bring him in. I mean, clearly, the, the, the downfall of our team over the last few weeks has been not having that key forward. Uh, you know, At least in, in the first six weeks, five weeks, we had... Caminiti there, and we know that Tim Embry isn't your traditional key forward. He's only 190, 192, whatever he is. Um, he, he's not your big traditional key forward, um, and and you know he's not going to lead your forward structure in, in in that same way as someone who's 196, 198, 200, like a a Caminiti or a, or a Max King. And so the temptation to bring one of those guys straight back in is there. Um, I think you're right that it does feel like Max King is is going to be on the plane to Adelaide. We heard from Ross Lyon uh, before the North game saying that you know, King's now done as much work, if not more work, than Membry had done when they brought Membry back in, uh, which is a little bit of a worry. Uh, I, obviously, we know why Membry was rushed back in when, when Caminiti went out. But um, look, I, I just have concerns. The guy, I love Max King as much as anybody else, uh, but the guy hasn't played a game of footy or competitive kind of footy since February, since match sim um, pre-season. And, and that's a long time. Like we know the difference between, you know, going from just full training to senior footy. Uh, I, I think that you know, where where we want to be and, and, you know, Ross talks about selection integrity and all these types of things ad nauseum that it is about the team and the effort and doing the right things and getting your processes right. I feel like King has to spend a, a, a half playing the twos and, and bring Caminiti back in. You know, it's only been a couple of weeks. Uh, we know that he can play a role and, and all that sort of thing. That You, you play Caminiti and, and Membry. You've still got Owens there. King gets some match fitness. You know, we know it's not the same, but um, playing for a quarter, playing for a half at, at Sandy and and just get him kind of you know, rubbing shoulders with, with players in a competitive forum again. Um, before you bring him straight back into the into the ones because it is a, a huge gap in you know intensity and, and all that sort of stuff for a guy that really hasn't played you know any sort of you know, competitive uh, intensity for for at least kind of ten weeks. Um, 
So that's a concern for me. But I, I think you're right. It does feel like they're going to bring King straight back in. Um, H, where do you where do you sit on this uh, scale of of in or out for Max King? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a little concerned by bringing him straight back in. Um, but in the same saying in the same time, I, he's been doing a lot of running, a lot of work. I guess not. Um, contact that sort of thing before he's gone into back into that full contact sort of training. He, he's fit enough. We we know he's fit enough to actually run out a game at the moment. But it's going to be a question of the whole um, whether he's contest ready, I guess. So whether that means that, okay, we do maybe need to play him up the ground a little bit further rather than being that key forward. And Caminiti does come back as the key forward. Um, it's I don't see him being as the same ready to take on that key forward first up sort of thing. If and if that's what we're looking at playing him with, how we're looking at playing him, then he probably should be playing a bit of VFL to get ready for that. But um, it, it's I think it's an opportunity to maybe give him a run around the field. As, as I'm saying, he's fit and ready to go in that in that sort of conditioning. But if he's a key forward, look, we, I don't think he's ready for it to to go ahead. Um, Been saying that I'm, I'm I'm wondering whether we have actually gone a little bit too early on memory. Um, it, it, just doesn't seem right at the moment. Mm. Um, I mean, you're saying, we're saying he's probably not playing out of position, but he's, he also hasn't really played, I guess, that really deep forward in any of the situations either. So he, it's he's kind of still played that role that he's always played, um, just that last kick up on the 50. Um, but he seems, I guess, nervous. Um, like we've, He hasn't wanted to kick those few goals. He hasn't wanted to... Um, take take that responsibility, sort of thing. Which seem, it seems strange for him, being knowing how good a kick he has been over the years. Like thirty meters out, taking a mark. A couple of years ago, we were like, yeah, here we go. Put this one in the book. But all of a sudden, the, the confidence has kind of disappeared. Um, that the first one should have turned his back, and it, it, that's why he turns his back and walks back to his mark to go back and kick it, and. He the first thing he was doing was looking for someone to kick it to, and as we saw it, yeah, turned over and it was it wasn't a great decision. So he, he just doesn't seem ready. So mm. that could be an opportunity for him to actually be the one to go back and get Caminiti in, who's the young kid, and the the, the confidence is just there at the moment. He is he's sort of like he's got no he has no doubt. He's taking no shots. He's um, he, he wants to keep the goals. It's 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 just a little thing that I think it crept in on on Sunday that the just that doubt and it, it kind of flowed onto a lot of the other parts of the game at the same time. So just if if it hurts the structure, then memory maybe me be the one to actually make way. Yeah, the questions around all of that are. Can you play King, Membry, and Caminiti in the same team, given you've got Owens? Obviously, if you do that, you probably have to drop Sharman, who played a good game. If you 
does playing King help Membry get back into form because he'd play his normal role? Can you risk playing two guys that are somewhat underdone at the same time? So if you play King, do you have to almost send Membry back to Sandringham and, and play Caminiti, who's more likely to have a bit more of that sort of run in the legs and, and be a little bit more match ready? Um, it, it's a tricky one to, to sort of get that balance. I think certainly in terms of our structure, we were missing that get-out option. We were missing the almost the insurance policy in the forward line of having a tall target that can smash packs. And look, if King can draw two or three free kicks and, and compete and bring it to ground, then he's going to make us better even if he's a bit rusty. But it's kind of what you do with those players around him um, and sort of who makes way within that lineup. But it's a good problem to have, obviously, for, for once, where we, we've put together a makeshift forward line and won six of our first eight games. Now we've got the troops available, albeit with some some concerns around fitness. Um, but how do we sort of structure it in? But but it's, it's, it's a nice problem to have. And I, and I think King, certainly in terms of our structure, is going to help everybody else. So, um, And then you just you just sort of weigh up what else they do. Windhager had 20. I called the Sandy game on the weekend. They were pretty ordinary, the, the Zebras. But look, Windhager had 27 with about eight clearances. Um, Billings was okay. Um you know, tough tough game for him given the side was getting flogged, but he's probably had 22 or 23. Highmore fought really hard in defence with about 25 touches, but that, that was really about it. Um, so the only players were... Yeah. I guess that, that question, yeah. that, that question that, that I guess both of you have mm. touched on, do you guys think we can play King, Caminiti and Membry in the same forward line? Um, probably not Ann Owens, that's the thing. Um Probably not. Um, I, I, I mean, Owens is a lock. King is a lock. And it's probably Membry or Caminiti, to be honest. Um, and then where does Shaman fit into that conversation, t- to be truthful? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, do you see Mitch Owens playing as a key forward or as a midfielder? Because, I mean, that's the that's the, that's the the get out. Exactly. Like, card, I mean, right? obviously, Mitch he, Owens goes back to Yeah, his, exactly. Like, you'd love him to play position as, higher as up the ground, a wing, midfield, whatever it may mm. be. But, look, he's been unbelievable as a young centre-half forward. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a... I reckon he could move into the mid a bit Mm -hmm. more than what he has and then the whole pinch it Mm -hmm. down forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're struggling to hit a target, drop him in there. Can he and Mason Wood almost roll roll wing forward rotation or something like that? Um, Essentially. As to how they wish to do it. But, yeah, look, it's... I mean, Kings clearly... If he's available and they want to pick him a lock and, and Owens is a lock, and then it's what you do around that, obviously, with Butler and Higgins as your smalls. And then you've got, yeah, Sharman, Caminiti, Membry, and you, you work through what you want to do on that front. But, look, it's a good problem. I mean, Adelaide, uh, very much an improved side. They've looked good pretty much all year. They, they arguably could have won seven or eight of the games, that, or six or seven, rather, of the games they played. Obviously, Geelong had their measure, albeit they were competitive. They should have beaten Collingwood for sure. They just tightened up. They thumped Carlton, beat Port. Obviously, they lost to Richmond at home, which seems a little unusual. They were terrible in the first half. They were about eight goals down at half time of that game. They got overrun by the Giants. Um, but they are a better side than the one we played last year. But in saying that, look, they're four and four, um, you know, we're, we're every chance. It's, it's a really important game because obviously if we lose the game, then Adelaide closed it within a game of us, potentially Essendon and other teams do the same. Um, but if we win the game, we're sort of two, three 
two and a half games in some cases, clear of the chasing pack, approaching the halfway point of the year with GWS and Hawthorne and West Coast and North and all of that still to come later on in the year. Um, I'd make the call that if we if we beat Adelaide, it's very hard to see us not making the eight, to be truthful. Um, so pretty important game. Really important game. Really important game. And, and you know, I think for, for our own benefit, to, to be able to you know, back up from, you know, we, we've talked about it. It's been talked about ad nauseum that it was a poor game of footy. We didn't play particularly well. Uh, you know, we're two and two in the last month. And, you know, we've had some good performances, some not so good performances. Um, you know, it, it's it's really important that when you have a down a down game, you come back and, and you put your best foot forward. And you know, I think for, for our own benefit, for our, our guys' benefit, for supporters' benefit, you know, I think we all have kind of last season, second half of the season, kind of scarring us as we have so many scars mm-hmm. from this football team over the years that it would be nice to to kind of come out after, after a poor game and, and say, right, we're going to play our brand of footy again. We're going to play proper football. We are a serious team and we're taking this seriously and come out and have a win. And, and like you said, the Crows, maybe they're not top four, top six potential this year, but they are so far and, and above ahead of where they were this year. Uh, sorry, last year. Um, they're a pretty good football team. They've got a lot of talent. They've got some good experience. They've got a bunch of really good players. Um, and this is going to be a test no matter – who, no matter what team you are, playing Adelaide this year is going to be a test. Um, and you better bring your A game because they can beat nearly anyone if they, if they bring their A game. They, they can beat nearly anyone. Um, yeah. And so you know, on their own deck, you know, we've got to turn up. Yeah, and you think back to – actually think back to last year's game against them. That, that was actually a pretty ugly game in mm. itself too. And, oh, it was awful. And you also think – Max King was the one that saved mm, us that day six, too. Yeah. Um, five, yeah, it was six from seven mm. kicks or something, and it was um, it, without him on there that day, we, we were mm. cooked. Um, it's pretty much the only forward target we seemed to have that day. So it's um, yeah, it's it, it needs to work up forward this week. It needs to um, actually let's hit the targets. That, that's that's the first thing we need to do. If we're going to bring these forwards in, we've got to kick it to their advantage. We've relied on a, a bit of chaos ball, a little, little bit of over the top after a turnover, a little bit of um, the, the small forwards like Higgins taking marks against the big defenders and things like that so far this year. It's worked, but it's not going to work all year. Hmm. We we've get these big forwards back in and we've got to put it to their advantage. We, we need to get one-on-ones instead of one-on-four. And uh, as we saw a lot of time with King last year, every time he went for the ball, there was four defenders on him. Where are the rest of our players? Well, what are they doing? So we need to get to our advantage. We're kicking the ball better than we were last year. That's the first thing. Mm. But we've really got to use One it. thing we need to remember is that we're in good shape um, and we can learn good things out of this game, very similar to the Carlton one. It's a really good opportunity to make a statement that a win is a very pleasing thing for us in terms of where it puts us in the in the scheme of things, and, and it's a huge opportunity. So we've got to look at that. That you know, we've set ourselves up with a very good start to the season. So um, obviously, we've got to push that on and and take these chances. Um, our awards before we wrap things up. The Jason Blake Award, uh, always a, uh, a tricky one. Probably a good game for that type of award, though, Nick. Um, who did you have as a nomination? 
really, really tough this week because it wasn't it wasn't a good game. And I think all those who had decent games we've we've spoken mm-hmm. about. Um, I, I want to give some credit to Naziah because I think yeah, often we tend to forget about him a little bit because he's because he's been in the in the, the system for a year already. We talk a lot about Filippo, about Owens, uh, and, and the steps forward that they've made this year in terms of the, the direct impact. And, and obviously, Filippo is a you know the recent draftee, and Mitch Owens playing a role that's not his. Um, not his bread and butter that he's kind of had to fill in and and fill gaps and you know be be everywhere man being a key forward being a backup ruck you know playing pinch eating in the middle um you know he's just done everything and so rightly so all the focus has been on on those two guys from a from a young kid perspective and even coming into the season all the the focus it was on Windhager and the the preseason that he'd had um and obviously you know we want to see that uh, we want to see more of, of Windhager over the next month as he kind of gets back into into form and fitness. But Wanganine Miller, I think, sometimes gets forgotten amongst that group of kids, and and we forget that he is actually a kid because he is, you know, when he's got the ball, he is so composed, he doesn't panic. Um, you know, he, he looks like he's been in the system for a couple of years, and we don't talk about him as kind of in this next group of of you know young stars. And um, he's been super so far this year. I think he's probably had one average to below average game out of out of eight. Um, but I think he's been very, very good in, in most games. And, and it seems like he just keeps getting better week after week. And, and I just don't think we talk about him enough. Yeah, I think that's a fair call for sure, H. Um, yeah, no, another one who's probably um, not getting the credit for the work he's actually doing. Um, he's been quite solid. Um, hasn't really, I guess, shone at any stage, um, it's Ben Patton. He he's actually been very very serviceable every week. Um, the like it's a lot of the work behind the play that he actually does to his direct opponents or get getting in somewhere that uh, like he might he'll read the ball well that um, pick off a. Um, pick off a kick that, that he runs off his man to take or um, he's laying tackles every week. He's just putting in the hard yards that, as we say, a lot of the time doesn't get noticed. Um, and he's been given a definitive role and he, he seems to be working it really well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's probably, oh, we've got the back six and he's probably that seventh player at the moment that he's, he's almost molding into that, into that defensive group and just giving you everything he's got. So he's been yeah, very serviceable and I think he's, he's almost become one of the important players down sort of the half, I guess the half back of the team. I'm going to go with a, a guy who doesn't always get um, a lot of love in this segment, but um, Dan Butler, I think that he's had Ross has sort of tapped into the, the best of him a little bit. His intensity is chasing his pressure. He's been lively around goal again, sort of hitting the scoreboard a bit. And, um, you know, he's, he's not quite back to the, the 2020 version of himself, but, but he's going pretty well. Um, and I think, you know, credit where it's due, his, his work rate is as high as anyone in our side uh, at the moment. So uh, liking the output that we're, we're getting from Dan just for the time being. A little bit of a left field one for me for the, the Shannon Knoll Award. We do our listener questions generally on on this um, 
on this podcast. And there's quite a few come through, and we, you know, we welcome a lot of those contributors, and some of them have even been sort of co-hosts of this show. But I know it's just the nature of footy sometimes, but we've had questions along the lines of, have we been figured out? Can Ross Lyon take the side further? What do we get if we trade Gresham? Um, all of this sort of stuff. Um, we're six and two. We're in the top four. I don't know if our questions should be that negative at the moment. Um, that's not a pot shot because you know they're, they're all discussions that need to be had and, and things like that. But I think as a supporter base, we have a tendency to drift towards pessimism, um, and I agree that you know I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I, I feel that way all the time, but um, I'm just not sure we should at this stage be. Um, be looking at the downside of life because I think we've gone probably as well as you could expect and, and obviously we've got to work a few things out and, and questions around that, that are valid like you know are we are we performing lesser now with the comrades back than we were beforehand yes and no but but not not for any particular reason it's probably just a, the case of guys coming back from injury and, and little bits and pieces so my only thing is and that's that's not a criticism my message would be it's okay to to smile and smell the roses once in a while. It's all right. Would that be would that be a contender for that so St Kilda this week? Yeah, I, I think I think so. And, and as I said, I mean, I, I love I love the fact that all these these listeners are passionate about that. I'm just saying, just allow yourself to enjoy the good times because you never know exactly how long they last. We know that as much as anyone. <laughs> we saw that last year. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of in terms of the Shannon Noll. Um, I, I find it hard to go past Tim Membry. I think, you know, and it, again, it's not it's not that he's a bad player. It's not that he's not playing his role because clearly he's in there to play a role that he's given from Ross. But, yeah, I think like you said, H, it feels like he's not quite right whether he came back in too early. You know, all those sorts of questions are, are probably valid because we're not getting, you know, peak Tim Embry from skunk at the moment and and you're given the the dysfunctional nature of our forward structure over the the first kind of two months of the season i think that's a a valid concern to to be thinking about but yeah i, I do think that tim Embry is strong enough he's good enough yeah he's a really really good afl player he'll turn it around but i think the question and the the comment that you know we need more out of Tim Embry when when we're struggling for forward structure we need our senior guys to step up you know now is time yeah you know, he's he's at a couple of weeks back in the back in the ones if he's not right send him back down if he is right now is the time to to step up and and be that leader uh you know we've got a, a lot of young kids in that forward group you know and I'm not saying that his leadership is ever ever, ever in doubt ever questioned but you know we need him to stand up if we're going to if we're going to move past this place um because you know i think he makes our entire team better not just the young kids but the entire team you know when he becomes the the third forward instead of the first or second forward that we are in a much better place when, when you've got tim Embry um in the team rather than out and and this is the time you know a couple of weeks back in the ones that he's got to step up and 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 be that guy again yeah um i'm i'm gonna go with a senior member of the team as well who who's played great football all year, um, but on the weekend just seemed like he was really lost. Um, just He didn't seem to have a position on the weekend for some reason. Like I, I could not figure out where he was actually playing, and that was Seb Ross. Uh, it, he, he just kind of looked like, like he was missing. He was, he was almost felt like he was like 
what am I actually doing out here at times? It was quite hard to watch um, with how well he has played all season so far. And I, I don't know if it was a he was giving, given a particular role and he followed it to a T, but it just didn't look right. So um, apologies to him if he if he did it, went out there and did exactly what Ros asked him. But yeah, what just watching the game, I, I just wasn't sure what he was actually doing on the day. It just yeah seemed a little slow, seemed a little bit out of position, seemed just a strange what was ever, what was happening out there. So um, hopefully he can get yeah back out there and get thirty touches and kick a goal this week and. <laughs> Um, because yeah, he's been quite pivotal to the results so far this year. Does anybody have a, uh, a that so St Kilda? Mine's probably that, and as I said, I, I stress that that wasn't a criticism before. I just think we're all guilty sometimes of fearing the worst, and um, yeah, it's more more a self soothing thing not to do that. But anyone have any uh, have any others? Oh, I think it, it it is that, and you know, I think we talk about the scars and you know history and and all that type of stuff. You know, we, we look back at kind of similar time last year. We won, won some games of footy, won some pretty good games of footy. And, you know, we start talking about can we trust this team again? And, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, we couldn't. But it did feel like at the time that we couldn't. And, and you allow yourself to, to get into that, you know, that, that mindset and, hey, we're a pretty good team and, and all that type of stuff. But, you know, the more times that happens, the more times we're likely to think, Hang on, it's going to happen again, and, and we're not as good as it feels like we might be, or or we can't trust this team again. So, um, it, it that does feel very St Kilda that we're you know six and two, we're 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 a pretty strong team despite missing a lot of guys, and uh, you know we're top four, we've got the second best percentage in the in the league, uh, and we've got a bunch of guys you know either starting to return or or coming back in the, in the next you know couple of weeks um, in, into the bye, and then we get a week off. Um, that we're we're in a pretty good spot, but it does yeah you know, it, it does have that feeling I guess that that you just can't quite trust where we're at. And this is a big game, obviously uh, an interstate trip um, to to take on an informed side. It's our first interstate trip. I know we played Collingwood in Adelaide, but that's a neutral game. This is a, obviously a genuine interstate trip. Uh, H, did you have one at all? Or? Um, no, not not particularly this week. I think it was just a um. At this season, I think it's just going to be so secure. We're, we're going to win some ugly footy. That, that's pretty <laughs> pretty straightforward as to what we'll be looking at. So, but it'll be great if we can say, well, that's so secure that we keep winning ugly football. Yep, sixteen ugly wins would be nice. That's that's, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll take that every day of the week. Be a big game uh, this week and a massive opportunity for us to go seven and two and really entrench ourselves in the top four against a very good opponent. So let's do it. Enjoy it for those heading over there. We'll regroup again next week and go Saints. 